welcome listeners to season six, episode six of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char and my pronouns are she, they. And I'm Kelly and my pronouns are they, them. And this week we're watching Maximum Overdrive from 1986. <laughs> but first we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to taste like burning asphalt. <laughs> oh boy. This episode will contain discussion on sexism, drugs, and child death. If any of these things are something that you need to not hear about today, feel free to skip this episode and we'll catch you next time. I'm glad that you didn't see that description before trying the drink. I haven't had a sip. <laughs> Shall I have a sip now? Yeah, go ahead. <gasps> Well, it tastes good. Oh, that's good. Um, I call it green diesel. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, sweet. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's wild what I put in this drink and oh, still managed to be uh, palatable. Um, so minty. It's like I'm brushing my teeth with children's toothpaste. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> no, not in a bad way. Not in a bad way. Uh, so it's a very small drink. I put it in a one of those tall whiskey glasses where you can like smell the whiskey when you are drinking it. Um, I rinsed the inside of the glass with absinthe. Ooh. Yeah, that's right. Um, I put one shot of fireball whiskey and one shot creme de menthe. <laughs> of course. Hence the green color. And then I put a, a bunch of smoky bitters in there. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so both. Creme de menthe and whiskey or fireball are both very sweet. So that makes sense why this is so sweet. Yeah. But I it sounds from the ingredients that it wouldn't taste good, but it does. That's what I was thinking, too. I was OK. I wasn't intentionally trying to make a bad drink. That was not my intent at all. What I was trying to make was a hard drink that sort of still encompassed the flavor of this movie. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, creme de menthe is literally the only green thing we have. So I was like, this drink needs to be green to look like the main truck in the movie. And then we also had some fireball. And I'm like, this can't possibly cinnamon and mint. I mean, <laughs> I can't think of many things that that works well together with. But um, somehow this came together. And then the smoky bitters were just to make it sort of taste um, burnt a little bit. Ooh, and then uh, like a tire screeching off. Yeah, exactly. And then the the absinthe rinse is supposed to give it that smell of um, anise, which I always kind of associate with like, I mean, it's it's supposed to be the smell from Rosemary's baby, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Or at least she was told that. But anyways, mm -hmm. it's kind of got like a I don't know. In my mind, I'm like, that's burnt kind of, I guess. I don't know. But it worked. It's surprisingly good. Definitely sip this drink if you made it, make it. I have been having sips quickly. <laughs> it tastes good. Well, then I'll make you another one. I mean, I, I can't talk. I got drunk once drinking a whole bunch of Fireball and forgot. Want to share that story? I, I have to have. It was, uh, you know, I bought those pretty big Fireball uh, containers, two of them, and then went to my mom's wedding. And at some point in the night... Um, <laughs> I went to the freezer for the second one and it wasn't there. So I don't know if I drank it or if someone I hope someone else drank it. But those were some of the few memories of that night that I have. And a lot of it just was coming in and out and then out all over the lawn. And then I passed out and somehow I got back to the city. But 
Who's to say? <laughs> Everybody has a great drunk story. Yours is fun because it was in front of your whole family, which is not ideal. But at least everyone was nice about it. I specifically remember going up or sorry, I specifically remember being told that I went up to one of my family members and I was like, my mom has no idea that I'm drunk. And there's a good chance that I was saying that to my mom. I mean, that checks out. That sounds like what you would say if you were really drunk. I, my mom has no idea that I'm super drunk. I'm, hold, <laughs> I'm holding it together so well. I mean, this is a great film for this drink and this story then. But before we even go into the details of the film, we have to thank our patrons. Patreon, that drunken stupor story was just for you. Very special <laughs> for all of you. I'm not deleting you it for the... No. <laughs> it's only coming to Patreon. So if you hear this, you're probably a Patreon donor. Whoa. <laughs> and if you forgot if you're a patron, don't worry, because I can remind you. It's Nicholas G, Jacob M, Diana S, Ollie A, Aiden T, Jackie V, Roxanne B, Les Represent Podcast, Colleen D, and Aubrielle. So thank you all so much. And send us your drunken super stories or sugar high stories if you do not drink. We would love to hear them. This week, we watched Maximum Overdrive, which premiered on July 25th, 1986. In my notes, I put 2986 and got very Whoa, confused. future episode. <laughs> it's written and directed by Stephen King. Yes, that Stephen King. It stars Emilio Estevez as male love interest and ex-con turned hero Bill Robinson. Pat Hingle as owner of the truck stop Henderson. And Laura Harrington as hitchhiker turned female love interest Brett. And I mean, we're just following along with the final girl trope of having boyish names. <laughs> this synopsis was written by Curly Q Link on Ooh. IMDb. Thank you very much, Curly. When the tale of rogue comet Rhea M passes through Earth's atmosphere, humanity's worst nightmares come to life as machines gradually develop minds of their own, turning on their creators in bloody rebellion. At the Dixie Boy truck stop just outside, I was going to say Wyoming, Wilmington, <laughs> North Carolina, both workers and patrons alike are coming to grips with the horror as a series of increasingly bizarre accidents occur. Some injurious, some near fatal, and some fatal. <gasps> the terror finally comes to a head when the parked trucks, led by one for a toy company which sports a demonically smiling goblin face, each start up on their own, circling the truck stop and preventing anyone from getting in or out. Trapped by the trucks and an emotionless manager, a young ex-con takes it upon himself to lead the rescue of anyone in the immediate vicinity whose life is in danger and to ultimately escape the truck stop and head to safety. Unfortunately, things become more complicated when a machine gun mounted mobile platform orders each of the humans to pump gasoline for the trucks. Pitted against an army of machines demonized by an unknown phenomenon, the people trapped in the Dixie Boy truck stop must use stealth and a concealed arsenal to escape. In the meantime, they realize that there is more to the tale of Rhea M than they initially thought. So basically, it gets pretty bad at night. Bunch of them uh, escape through the drainage pipe led by the ex-con and Brett. They're armed with various weapons from the late Henderson's uh, arsenal and decide to make a run for the open ocean and to the island where there are no trucks. When the trucks see that the people inside the Dixie Boy are gone, they all smash into the building, destroying it in a series of spectacular explosions. 
Bill leads the survivors across the back roads and fields in the area to make it to the local marina to find a sailboat to take them to said island. They have narrow encounters with numerous machines, including a driverless ice cream truck. In the final shot, Bill, Brett, and the rest of the dozen survivors sail away from the marina to find help and safety. A disclaimer in this shot reveals that two days later, a Russian weather satellite, quote unquote, destroyed a large UFO orbiting Earth with nuclear tipped missiles, causing all machines to become sedate. I guess that means like not active anymore. I think so. Another two days later, Earth passed through the tail of the comet and everything seemingly returned to normal. It is also implied that the Dixie Boy survivors were the only survivors to the worldwide machine revolt. Whoa. Really? Apparently. I don't remember that. I didn't I didn't really think it was implied either, but that's what they said. <laughs> and I'm reading it word for word. Hit me with that trailer audio. Hi. My name is Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures, but I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive, which is the first one I've directed. Wow. So come and spend some time with me and my friends at the Dixie Boy. Spend some time in the dark. Please don't let me in the dark. Help me. I'm going to scare the hell out of you. That's a promise. Okay, that was really long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it did not do what we hate of revealing the plot of the film. Besides that trucks are going to kill you. Yeah. So surprisingly good in that vein. <laughs> uh, it I up- actually liked Stephen King <laughs> talking directly at us being like, if you want it done right, you got to do it yourself. I'm going to scare the hell out of you. Um, That's a promise. <laughs> That trailer brings up two things that I know about Stephen King, especially around this time, um, that might might steal some of your scaredy facts. I don't know. Uh, One, he was incredibly high on cocaine making this movie and during that trailer. And it shows Mm -hmm. so hard. And second is he hates all of the movies that he doesn't get to make of his books so much so that. The original Shining came out in 1980, which was like six years before this movie, uh, and he hated it. So he ended up making his own Shining, which was like a mini series, and it was awful. We watched it for our old podcast, and it is terrible. Every movie that he makes himself is bad. It movies mini series terrible. <laughs> <laughs> the Shining bad. <laughs> Maximum Overdrive. Who knows? <laughs> if people also want to listen to our old podcast, Good Enough to Air where we watch TV shows that were canceled before their time. Feel free to look that up because that's a thing of the past. I'm always and, worried about. Oh, boy. Listening to old things that we make. I'm not going to listen to it. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not even just quality, but just I don't know. I, I feel like I've evolved a lot in the last few years. I've learned a lot. I've you done whole different pronouns. I've done inner searching and I don't uh, I don't necessarily agree with some of the old things that I said. Hmm. So, so take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, exactly. Um, but focusing on this film. Yeah. Tell me your thoughts. Uh, so going back to a personal story. But the year is 1998, <laughs> 97, I think. I'm like six or so. This movie is for some reason the movie that I always wanted to watch whenever I was homesick. And I don't remember a lot of it. <laughs> um, I... Uh, 
I think I mostly remembered the pop cans killing the coach, mm-hmm. the steamroller rolling over the kid, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the fact that the Green Goblin was like the head truck. Yeah. You got to describe this pop can moment. Oh, yeah. I mean, at this point, everyone is like getting killed individually by machines. And we're sort of learning that they're sentient now and they hate humans for some reason. Uh, And a a kid's softball game just ended and the coach is going to go get them all sodas. And then he goes to the soda machine and a can pops out and hits him in the dick. And as he leans over, it hits him in the forehead and like indents his skull. And then all the kids start getting attacked by the pop cans, which is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, And I remember that part. And (laughs) I don't remember the bazookas. I don't remember the turret that holds everyone hostage. So they have to pump gas. I don't remember that toilet paper had a significant role in this movie for some reason. (laughs) Um, I think... I mean, A, I was all hopped up on cough medicine and ginger ale at that point. So I probably slept through a lot of this movie. But uh, yeah, if if I saw this movie a lot, which I'm pretty sure I did, I did not retain most of it. (laughs) (laughs) Spirited Away was my sick kid movie. And that's pretty scary, too. In a way, it's like scarier than this film, I would say. This film wasn't that scary, which Stephen King promised me I would be scared. I'm going to scare the hell out of you. I promise. Um, yeah, I would I would also argue that Spirited Away is existentially more horrifying than (laughs) this movie, especially for a small kid to watch. Yeah. But while we were watching this movie now, I did appreciate that you would call things out right before they're about to happen. Oh, this scene. Oh, it was like it was coming to you while we were watching it, which was really nostalgia. I enjoyed this movie more because you I live was living vicariously in your now memories. That's good. Yeah, I think that uh, I mean, this movie, I would argue, is a more comfort movie when you're sick. You don't really want to think about how you might be stolen by a witch while you're sick. Mm -hmm. And instead, you just want to dream about all the cars passing by killing people. All your all your home machines can kill you. This home TV could kill you. Whoa. You hear a lawnmower outside. Maybe it's grinding up a guy. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that was (laughs) my point about this very strange movie. My second point is that I, it, as strange as it was, I actually like that some of the different machines had like different personalities. Because mm, mm-hmm. um, like it's never really explained. Like, do all the machines just hate humans? Are they all coming to life now and they're just taking it out on humans? Only the ones that like feel like they're you being used. Are the alien UFO? Are they like projecting their mind onto machines and using them to kill all the humans so they can take over the planet? probably described in the book but it's not in the movie at all Um, it's not even a full book it's a short story so i i'm curious how much of it is described like you're saying i'm also curious if it fits into like the dark uh the dark towers stuff with the turtle and the alternate Mm -hmm, dimensions mm -hmm. and stuff yeah i don't know i imagine it does which is okay i'm going off on a tangent now but i feel like whenever stephen king makes a movie he tries to incorporate the dark towers like mythos as much as possible. Whereas when anybody else makes Stephen King's movies, he, they know that that's not approachable, especially if this is the only fucking movie you're watching. Like, I feel like it too is the closest that any of the non Stephen King directed Stephen King movies has gotten to incorporating a lot of the dark tower stuff Mm -hmm. like the, uh, the lights, the dead lights. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I, th- I thought it was good. Well done. I, tangently. I think they mentioned the turtle in it too. The kid who stays behind. I think he learns about the turtle or something. I don't know. It's been too long. Yeah. That was like one of the first movies we did for this podcast. Yeah. Anyways. And we hated it. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not swell. But um, anyways, I like that even though we didn't know why a lot of the machines had their own personality, like the ATM in the beginning of the movie tells the guy to fuck off. Ooh, uh, what's Stephen King, by the way? Yes, which was pretty fun. Um, the machine gun becomes this like leader amongst the trucks and holds the humans hostage so they can pump diesel, which uh, why the trucks waste all their diesel? Uh, it was strange. <laughs> um, the bigger trucks don't seem to give a fuck about the smaller vehicles. And it's also ambiguous as to whether or not the smaller vehicles even come to life. People that are still was driving. so strange to me. I don't know about that. I think it was just a, a hole. Yeah, like they needed to get the married couple to the Dixie boy so they could still drive the car. Also, why did the boat they took not come alive? Are there going to be like tankers out in the water trying to crash into them? I mean, they only had to survive for two days. These That's are fine. the questions. These are the questions that Stephen King didn't think about because he was too damn high. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I liked it. It it was I don't know. I liked it because it added a little bit of extra depth to the movie and kind of reminded me of that Futurama episode where mom activates all the robots to be killers and each mm-hmm. of them had their own little thing. Mm-hmm. But um, again, I don't know. It was just kind of a wacky fun movie and. <laughs> I feel like think putting too much thought into it is a lot of waste of mental energy. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Good. We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. This season of Drinking and Screaming would not be possible without the support of Mad Lab Distillery. With us since the very beginning, this distillery is Canadian and we love everything they create. You can get their amazing products at a private liquor store near you or at madlabdistilling.com. We use their smoky bitters and uh, their absent bitters because I don't have absinthe in this drink today. Spoilers! <laughs> really, changing the recipe. Really added a lot of flavor to this drink. It is most of the flavor <laughs> other than mint. <laughs> It wouldn't be Drinking and Screaming Season 6 without another ad for Evil Amy's Terror Shop. They ship globally and they have so many amazing Halloween and horror related products for you. They were at Fan Expo the year that we did our live show and they had a full size talking Chucky doll. You Mm. can buy that. They have it on their website still. Go to EvilAmy'sTerrorShop.com and use code EVIL10 for 10% off your purchase. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream on Facebook at drink and scream. And you can email us at drinking and screaming at gmail.com. For more information and to buy some merch, go to drinking and screaming.com. Let's drive back into the episode. Which is why my thoughts are basically non-existent here. And I'll start with. Ironically, we actually weren't feeling that well when we watched this movie. We're not super sick. We just were feeling under the weather. And it is a good sick kid movie. We kind of touched on this already. But like I was surprised reading that synopsis, how much plot actually occurred. It (laughs) it seemed more dynamic than what I was experiencing actually watching the movie. So I think it does work well for something that you need to have on to zone out. So either like a sick 
day movie or like a Halloween party movie where you can have it on and not focus too much on it. And then like the kills happen and you're like, oh, fun. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. And then and go back it. to talking. Yeah. <laughs> but I will call out that there are a lot of swear words in this. Yeah. For five-year-old Kelly to be watching it. I mean, uh, listen, <laughs> you let your kids swear. It doesn't matter. Teach them <laughs> respect about swearing parents. I know that we have a lot of parents who are raising children who listen to our podcast. I don't know. I don't have the data on that. But (laughs) rather than teach your kids that swearing is bad, teach them the situations where swearing is fine. Swearing in a fun movie. Great. Swearing at your teacher. Not so great. They're really struggling and teachers need more assistance. Swearing at a cop. Always good. (laughs) No, that's how you die. Do not give that advice. <laughs> that is terrible advice. Nobody listen to Kelly. <laughs> swearing at a turf, always good. There you go. Swearing around your friends, who gives a fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and then my last point is I wanted to highlight a character whose name I don't even know, but she was the waitress. Mm. And of course, woman in this movie didn't really do much, but she was entertaining. I thought that she had strength. And I wish that we got to see more of her because she died pretty early on. And it also was strange to me, like her main plot development was she started to be like unhinged, screaming, we made you at the trucks, which was like, what is going on? Why are you so focused (laughs) on like you created these machines and now they're killing you? Is this like an (laughs) allegory for like children rebelling against their parents or something? I don't know. She also had a lot of blood loss. She got cut on the wrist pretty bad in the beginning mm-hmm. by one of those like turkey cutters. Yeah. Yeah. Those like electric ones. Yeah. Have you ever used one? I've never even seen one in real life. I always assumed they were for people who cooked turkey bad because your turkey is so fucking dry. You can't cut it with a regular knife. Mm. But I might be wrong. OK, <laughs> there's two conditions. Dry ass turkey did a bad, a bad job making the turkey or you have bad wrists. Because a lot of those things are sold for people oh, yeah. who can't uh, can't use knives or hold on to things well. True. Good call. Yeah. But literally, those are the only two things I wanted to talk about for this movie. So my thoughts are complete. Good. That means you liked it so much that you had no criticism, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have much <laughs> criticism besides the lack of plot, lack of women agency. That's about it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It didn't even feel too long. Yeah. So as we know, this is based on a Stephen King short story, you said. Mm-hmm. And a lot of his movies, mostly the ones that he doesn't direct, are, are based on books. He has a lot of novels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them are all right. I've, I've heard a lot of people say that Stephen King isn't a great writer. But I did pick up this one book recently, not by Stephen King. So it's probably going to be good. So if you don't mind, <laughs> I think it's time to open the record. Uh, my recommendation is Tremors from 1990. I'm like 90% sure I've already recommended this, but it came up while we were watching this movie. We were going to watch it after. I forgot why we didn't. I think we just... Because we got invited to hang out virtually with other friends watching a different movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. But yeah, it's got kind of the same vibe of a group of people trapped by a thing and they try to fight back. And yeah, that's Tremors from 1990. I'm going to recommend a movie... 
haven't even seen. That's Christine from 1983. It's another Stephen King movie. I think it's about a killer car, but just one, though. Christine from 1983. You're recommending it because it kind of sounds like Christina. My favorite character from Grey's Anatomy. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only reason. (laughs) (laughs) Scaredy facts. This is the part of the show where we are so terrified of the atrocity that we just watched that we look up. And coming down from all that cocaine. Interviews, <laughs> trivia. Uh, we go on IMDb and other movie sites to remind ourselves this was just a movie and learn some really cool factoids about it. Starting with the budget, this was estimated at $10 million. Now, I am very sad to report that this film lost money oh no even with all of the times that we rented it (laughs) yep although we didn't rent it i think we just borrowed it from my grandmother's store (laughs) so they uh made 7.4 million so they lost like 2.6 million on this Mm, mm -hmm. great not great five million of their budget was just for the cocaine Speaking of cocaine, just to get some facts out there right out the gate. We already alluded to this quite a bit during the episode. So Stephen King, a former cocaine addict, later admitted that he was coked out of my mind, quote, the entire time he was making this picture and often didn't know what he was doing. He remarked that he'd like to try directing again someday, this time sober. However, when asked later why he hasn't directed a movie since Maximum Overdrive, he responds with, just watch Maximum Overdrive and you'll know. So. <laughs> I'm curious then when the Shining miniseries was made because I'm... So let me check real quick. The Shining miniseries came out in 97 and it was But this directed. is about a movie, not about a show. You keep... Oh, he, it, he didn't even direct this one. I think he was just involved. I'm, I don't know what I'm talking about. Don't ever listen to me. I'm not an expert. You shitting on it so much because he directed it and he didn't even direct it. I don't know. You listen. did that on a show. Another show. In my defense, I'm pretty sure Mike suggested it because he said that Stephen King directed it. And much like most things on the Internet, I heard a fact and never confirmed it and instead just told everybody. I'm very disappointed in you. So disappointed that I'm moving on to the next point, <laughs> which is the Dixie Boy truck stop was set was a set constructed 10 miles outside of Wilmington, North Carolina. It was convincing enough that several truckers tried to stop in and eventually it got so bad that the producers had to put out announcements in local papers to let people know that the Dixie Boy was a movie set and not an actual truck stop. Please do not stop there. What is the likelihood, though, that a trucker from out of town is going to pick up a local newspaper? Yeah. Mm. These people will know. Yeah, that's true. If they ask for directions, they'd be like, don't go to the Dixie Boy. It's just a movie set. Mm -hmm. They will have crafty, but they'll be mad at you. (laughs) (laughs) You can't eat crafty if you're not part of production. Mm, You can if you're stealthy. (laughs) Okay, this one's a sad one. Oh. An accident occurred on July 31st, 1985, during shooting in a suburb of Wilmington, North Carolina, where a radio controlled lawnmower used in a scene went out actually out of control, struck a block of wood used as a camera support, and it shot out wood splinters, which injured the director of photography, Armando Nanuzzi, and he lost his eye because of it. Oh. So it was pretty graphic, and he ended up stu- stewing, suing Stephen King. Um, in February, two years later, for $18 million because he lost his eye. 
So the budget of this movie was actually $28 million. (laughs) Yeah. I have so many questions. Like, mostly, why did the remote control lawnmower have a real blade on it? Couldn't you just add the sound in post? I don't know. That's that seems like a new director mistake. (laughs) Also talking about directing and who's done it and whatnot. Apparently, it's actually rumored that George A. Romero ghost directed most of this movie because um, Stephen King was so out of his mind and then actually went to seek treatment for his cocaine addiction. Mm. So many fans of Romero's work have noted that film features the film features many of his distinct camera angles, editing choices. And Stephen King has never admitted this up front, but he did mention in a few interviews that Romero was consistently on set and that he would ask him for advice about directing throughout the course of the movie. So it's like Hmm. interesting. It's like when you hand your little brother a controller that's not plugged in (laughs) so that he can play games with you. Yeah. Yeah, I just had my last sip and it was good. <laughs> nice. My lips really are so sticky. The, it coats your tongue really well. Yeah, it's got a really lasting aftertaste. <laughs> it kind of like it feels like cough syrup in the way that it like lingers. Yeah, mm-hmm. but at least it tastes good instead of bad. All right. When filming the scene where the ice cream truck flips over, the stunt, surprisingly, did not go according <laughs> to plan. A telephone pole size beam of wood was placed inside so it would flip end over end. But the truck only flipped once and slid on its roof right into the camera. Gene Poole, the dolly grip on film, pulled the cameraman out of the way at the last second. Because this happened, Poole's name is listed on one of the time cards when Bill is putting his card back after being told by his boss that he has to work more hours than he's going to get paid for (laughs) at the beginning of the movie. Nice. Save a guy's life and you get a little Easter egg. Yeah. Yeah. In the film, the Earth passes through the comet's tail on June 19th, 1987. On June 19th, 1999, King would be hit and nearly killed by a distracted truck driver. The number 19 has been prominently featured in his writing for most of his career. Whoa. So I think it's I mean, obviously, it's chance that this happened June 19th, 1987. Because this came out in 86 and he was hit in uh, 99. But yeah, apparently number 19 is frequently used. It's also name one other thing that has happened on a 19. (laughs) (laughs) Any one other thing. (laughs) In the scene where two trucks are killed with rockets. This is how you were mentioning, Kelly. You were like, I didn't remember that they had bazookas. (laughs) Uh, The weapon is a LAAW, a law, light anti-tank assault weapon which in reality is a shoulder-fired one-time-use weapon. It cannot be reloaded with another round and fired again, unlike what they did in the movie. I'm really disappointed in you. What? You did not introduce the new segment. Gun fact. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Delayed gun fact. Whoa. Don't worry. I thought you were going to do a little segue into this next section because what's that around the corner? (laughs) Carfax. <laughs> Yay. We have not done Carfax in a while because they haven't been many cars heavily featured in this in our films. Now, let me tell you, there are many, many trucks Yay. featured. They are all written on the IMDb car movie database. Nice. I am not going to read all of them out to you because <laughs> there are hundreds of trucks. 
<laughs> but I did find three that I thought were interesting. So I will tell you those. Starting with the ice cream truck that was featured in the movie that I just mentioned the scaredy fact about how it flipped over is a 1973 Chevrolet step van 7P-10. Mm. How interesting. <laughs> the Happy Toys truck, which is the main toy or the main car featured in all the movie posters and whatever, is a 1981 Western Star 4800. Its green face is designed after the Green Goblin villain from Marvel Comics. Which is so weird. <laughs> yeah. It looks cool, though. Yeah. But it was prominently featured in the trailer, which it really makes the movie seem like it's going to be a Marvel movie. Mm. And last but not least. Blink and you'll miss it. During the scene with the ferry bridge, a van can be seen with the ACDC band logo. They performed the soundtrack for the movie. <laughs> and I have to feature this because when we watched this movie, I saw that van, which was heavily featured. It wasn't like a two second <laughs> shot. And then I told Kelly that there would be a blink and you'll miss it moment. And it was. So I had to say it here. Good. It really felt like. You know um, the Doof Wagon in Mad Max, the guy that's just on the bungee cords playing the guitar? It yep. felt like constantly just behind the camera was ACDC playing music, just kind of jamming while the, the movie was going on. I like to imagine that, you know when they get like orchestras and they have like the movie on the massive screen so they can like play to the movie? Mm -hmm. I imagine it was just them sitting in a room with, <laughs> with maximum overdrive playing without any music and they just start jamming to it. Oof. Yeah. And that's it. That's all of my scaredy facts. Nice. Do you have a final thought for me? I do. I am glad that it wasn't terrible uh, or it would have been a lot of uh, anticipation for a lot of disappointment. Fair. Very. Yeah, I agree. And I'm also my final thought is just that I'm glad I got to finally watch this film because you've been mentioning it. You don't like constantly talk about it, but it comes up enough. Like you've probably mentioned Maximum Overdrive at least five times mm -hmm. since we've been dating. It's a once a year or more occurrence. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. And I, I did appreciate it. I thought it was OK. It was good. Good. Yeah. Well, that's been Maximum Overdrive, a movie about a very expensive ACDC music video. Next week, we'll be watching Incantation from 2022. <gasps> yeah. And remember, always scream responsibly. Thank you for listening to Drinking and Screaming. Drinking and Screaming is produced and edited by Charlene Bear. Our sound engineer and logo designer is Kelly Wright. And it's hosted by, yep, you guessed it, Kelly Wright and Charlene Bear. For bonus episodes, Patreon poll voting privileges, and exclusive rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash drinkandscream. Want a shout out? Review us on Apple Podcasts and we'll read your review live on the show. For more information, check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com. 